This is Mary Lewis at A Tiny Homestead, the podcast comprised entirely of conversations with cottage food producers, homesteaders, and crafters. Today I'm talking with Cheryl at Autumn Acres Farm. Good morning, Cheryl. How are you? I'm good. How are you today? I'm great. So tell me about Autumn Acres Farm and why it's called Autumn Acres Farm. Uh, well, we at this point, we are primarily a fall um, pumpkin farm. Um, and the name actually came from before we moved here. Um, I've always loved fall. My daughter's name actually is Autumn because I've always loved fall. And so when we moved to the property that we're at now, um, we had decided we were going to start a CSA farm at that time. And Autumn Acres Farm was the name we gave it back in 2009. Um, after doing the CSA farm for a couple of years, we made the decision to um, stop doing that and switch over to selling all fall produce. And we've done that exclusively since 2011. Okay, awesome. So you're, you guys are in the off season now. Um, yes, I, I still call it an off season, but it becomes less and less of an off season every year. <laughs> Yeah. Um, do you guys do other things in the quote unquote off season? Um, we're, we don't do other things, but the business has gotten to the size now that uh, the amount of time I spend in the off season actually working the business is a lot. I do still uh, substitute teach during the winter and that gets harder and harder every year for me to continue doing that and being able to do all the farm things. Okay. So, so what else do you guys do besides grow? Um, autumn produce? So um, we, well, we grow just you're aware, we grow 150 different varieties of fall produce. Um, typically, most farms will grow around 40 varieties or so, but we, we really, uh, that's probably one of the things that I fell in love with early on was finding all the new varieties. And I love things that are unique and different. And we kind of became known for that. Um, so I spent a lot of my time um, looking for new things to add. Um, but part of what we've become now is also not just um, selling pumpkins. And we have about, I think we're at about 13 acres or so in pumpkins um, that are grown here all on our farm. And then um, now we have uh, a corn maze and a pretty big play area. We do hay rides. We uh, moved in um, a pre-1870 schoolhouse from our local community um, last summer. So there's a lot of things going on continuing around here besides just growing pumpkins. Okay. Um, so do you guys grow squash as well as pumpkins? And I know pumpkin is technically a squash, but do you grow, <laughs> I don't know, hubbards and butternuts and acorns? Yes. When I say we grow 150 varieties, that would be all kinds of fall produce. So definitely. And, and a lot of people don't realize that things that we call pumpkins, a lot of them are technically squash and stuff. So we kind of just use pumpkins as a generic term to cover everything. But yeah, we grow all kinds of different squash. In fact, a lot of the decorative pumpkins that people love to use on their porches and stuff, those are technically squash. Um, but yep, all different kinds of that and lots of edibles. We also grow um, lots of kinds, I think it's four varieties of decorative corn, um, as well as, like I said, we're growing our um, corn for our, our corn maize every fall. And then we, one other thing I should mention we do is we actually have a sunflower field as well. And that typically will bloom in kind of the beginning of August. It, it, it always varies a little depending on the weather when we get our actual blooms and when we're able to plant and then when they actually bloom. But um, typically that's around the beginning of August. And so we've got a couple weeks there where we've got a beautiful sunflower season where people can come up and enjoy that field as well. Do people come out to have photos taken? Yes. Yeah, that's probably the most popular thing that happens um, is the people come out and take their own photos. We put some trails in it and some photo ops in the field. And then we've got quite a few professional photographers, photographers who will come out and do photo sessions as well. Okay. That's got to be really fun. Um, so I have two questions particularly that I'd like to get answered and then we can keep I don't know, talking about whatever. Number <laughs> number one, um, do you know why some seasons, squat, winter squashes in particular, are sweeter and then other seasons, they don't really have any sweet to them at all? Because we've been growing butternut squash for, 
off and on for 10 years, and some years they are like candy, and other years they taste like pumpkin. I would say, I can't give you a guarantee, but typically what will affect those things is the amount of moisture you have in a year, um, and then also how long you leave them on the vine, like if they're actually getting enough time to ripen. Um, If they are picked a little early, you will not get that sweetness generated. Um, The if you can leave them in the fields a little longer, that typically helps. Uh, it's kind of like um, the apples. When they get to get a little bit of cold weather on them, it tends to sweeten them up a little bit. Squash is similar in that regard. Uh, there are no guarantees, but those are the two things that typically affect the sweetness of the squash. And and it's kind of a guessing game, too. And obviously with moisture, if you're doing a small patch, you can control um, how much rain you're getting. But the, typically... If they've got some dry time towards the end of fall, uh, you know, when we're getting close to harvest, it's actually better for them. Um, they'll get a time to, to sweet, a chance to almost kind of dry up a little and sweeten up a little. Um, so if we get a lot of rain towards the end of the season, that could definitely affect it, and even during the growing season, but especially towards harvest. Okay. I thought it probably had something to do with leaving them out on the vines longer and the amount of um, moisture that they get because the years that it's been really dry and we haven't been on top of watering them, they haven't been as good. They've been big, but they haven't tasted as good. Oh, really? Okay. That surprises yeah. me. I would have actually figured you would see the, the opposite of that. So that's interesting. Yeah, I honest to God, I think the whole thing is a crapshoot. Nature's <laughs> going to do what nature's going to do, but you try to encourage it. You okay. are. And then, right my, <laughs> and then my other question is we grew sunflowers for the first time last year, and they did really well. We didn't grow a lot of them. I think we had maybe 20 come up and bloom, and they were really pretty, and they were the typical sunflowers, the yellow petals and the the dark on the inside. Yeah. And then I saw that there were all different colors of sunflowers, and one of them claimed to be blue. I don't know if there's actually a blue sunflower anywhere unless you put food coloring in the stem because we bought some seeds and we grew them and they were not blue. However, we did get red ones and orange ones and they were red and orange. They were really pretty. So I'm guessing there's probably not actually a blue sunflower. You are correct. I've I'm seen so sad. I've seen ads for them. I've seen ads for like really bright pink ones as well. And I've had people actually message me and say, oh, you should grow this. And I like, it's not real. <laughs> um, they, I have never, ever seen one. Um, yeah, it, it's not it's not real. At this point, nobody's come up with that. Um, the different oranges and red colors, though, especially the burgundies and stuff, I wouldn't, you know, we, we do call them red in the, in the flower business, but they're more of a burgundy. Um, those are definitely real. And you can get a lot of fun, different variations with those. Uh, you can also get some that are pollenless. So if uh, like typic- typical sunflowers are going to have a lot of pollen and when you bring them in, they drop it everywhere and it does stain, which is kind of a problem. It mm-hmm. can be for some people, um, but there are pollenless sunflowers that you can get and grow as well. In fact, uh, we do grow, um, we do, most of ours are just regular field sunflowers, but we add in some other varieties around the edges and some of them are pollenless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I love sunflowers. We had a huge, we had a dinner plate size, well, bigger than dinner plate size bloom this year. (laughs) And we have an old-fashioned water pitcher that would go in a basin on a table. Yep. So big old old old-fashioned basin. And I asked my husband to cut me that bloom, and he was like, it's huge. You don't want that in the house. And I was like, (laughs) oh, no. No, yes, I do. And put it in that basin and it looked like an 1800s farmhouse in my house for about a week. Aww. I was so excited. That's beautiful. Yeah. They're really nice and they're fairly easy to grow. I mean, yes. you, you put the seed in the ground and you give it some water and some sunshine and oh my goodness, there's a flower. Yes. Sunflowers are definitely pretty easy. I've never, I've grown them in my gardens for years too. And they, I've never had problems with them. They're actually just super fun, super easy, and I love the results. Yeah. Do you grow any, um, I don't know, usual flowers like roses or peonies or tulips or anything? Um, not out at our at the farm. Um, 
per se, but I have uh, I have gardens at my around my home, and that's actually one of my passions is gardening. And so I have you know beautiful decorative gardens. Hopefully that didn't cut out on you. My screen nope. just went blank. Okay, um, but I have beautiful decorative gardens around the home, and um, I do have a couple peonies, uh, roses. I have a place that I'm hoping to add a couple this year. That'll be my first time adding those. Um, but I have this spot that has just been bugging me and I, I've been kind of leaving it. It's just an empty spot. And finally last, it was actually kind of in August last year, it came to me. I'm like, I think I would like a couple of roses in there. So I'm going to try them. So just a heads up, if you haven't had any um, Japanese beetle issues oh, no. yeah. <laughs> at home, um, I would keep an eye on the roses because they love the rose leaves. They love apple tree leaves and they will strip your plants. We do not have roses where we live now because of that. We have no Japanese beetles yet. That and is a good thing. I'm, I'm actually super glad you mentioned that because I haven't had any either yet. <laughs> so I might yeah. just skip that. Yeah, we had beautiful climbing roses at our old house that we moved from three years ago. And it was William Baffin and John Cabot climbing roses. And they went up a really, really pretty trellis. And then the Japanese beetles showed up. And by then, the the roses were established enough that they didn't die. And we had gardens, you know, like small veggie gardens right around the roses. And the Japanese beetles went after the roses first. And I was like, I will sacrifice the roses if they don't eat. (laughs) The garden actually produces food we're going to eat. But... But my husband asked me last year if I wanted any roses. And I said, I, I want roses, but we're not getting them. And he, he said, but why? And I said, because we have not seen, we've seen one Japanese beetle on our property since we moved in. And I would really rather not invite them in. So maybe I just buy roses at $12 a bouquet <laughs> at the grocery store if I really need some. Yeah. So, just a heads up. They love broadleaf. Um, they love broad leaves. So apples, roses, um, they don't really bother peonies. So that's good because mm-hmm. peonies are my favorite and we have peonies here. So I'm, I'm good on that. We do have apple trees. I haven't noticed them on that either. And we don't spray. I actually may start spraying our apple trees as we go forward just to get some better um, control over things on them. Um, but we've never sprayed our apple trees and I've never noticed any Japanese beetles on them. Okay. Well, if you haven't had any Japanese beetles, that's probably why. And I'm afraid if you if you introduce roses, that might invite the beetles <laughs> in, and then you might lose your apple trees, which would be terrible. Right. Yep. So I where to stay away from that? Yeah. Where are you located? Um, we are located be four and a half miles straight south of Smith's Mill. Smith's Mill is the tiny little town right on Highway 14 between Mankato and Janesville. Oh, so you're you're like an hour and a half from us because we're in Lasor. I think maybe only an hour. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I think it's about an hour from Lasor. Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, I'll try. I'll try not to send in Japanese beetles your way, so you can have roses. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> it's the air is so dry. Like it, you look out the window right now. It looks like the end of October. Right. It does. <laughs> but. It is so dry. I'm, I'm, I can't believe Christmas is what, 11 days away? Yeah, it doesn't feel like it at all to me, not even a little. No, it's real hard to be in the spirit and, and be doing all the Christmas things when there's no Christmas spirit outside. It's so weird. This whole year has been so strange with weather. I think so too. And it feels really weird. And I shouldn't probably admit this, but. I, I normally I am somebody who does all their Christmas shopping pretty early. I've got lists for my kids and whatnot. And and I literally just started shopping this last week and I'm still not done. And and I have my Christmas tree. Uh, we, we actually went to Brewery Hill over by you to get our Christmas tree this year. Um, and we have had it up for about a week and a half. And I, we left for a little vacation in there, and I still haven't even put the lights on my tree. So that is my job today when I'm done here. I need to get my, my lights on my tree and my house decorated because I haven't done anything yet. Yeah, um, Christmas here is going to be a non-event. My husband is going in on Monday for surgery for a hernia. Oh. And 
he will be recovering during Christmas. So basically Christmas isn't really happening here this year. (laughs) That makes it difficult. I have a father-in-law who's also supposed to be getting scheduled for open heart surgery and it put a big crimp in all of Christmas plans. So yeah, that's, that's a little more major than a hernia surgery. Uh, Yeah. He's waiting to get his, his schedule, you know, his actual date and everything, but it just, it right at this time of year, it, What's a crimp in every other plan? So, yeah. Well, my I'm I was blessed with a husband who doesn't really, I don't know, he doesn't ever go all out on celebrating holidays anyway. And he actually had hernia surgery last year as well, in almost the same spot. It seems oh. as though it seems as though something failed with that surgery. Right. And I told him the other day. I said, "You are going above and beyond." what it takes to get out of having to celebrate holidays, you know. Oh, funny. <laughs> and his response was, well, at least it's now and not in the spring when I have to get ready to plant things. And I was right. like, yes, that's that's true. But I was messaging with my daughter the other day, and she lives in Florida, and she, her mother-in-law had said to her, we should make Christmas cookies and send them to your mom. And as soon as I saw this message from my daughter, I was like, oh, please send me all of them because I think it's the only thing that will seem like Christmas this year. So I think there's a box of Christmas cookies coming my way here in the next week. <laughs> well, that that's a nice gift. And especially since you're not going to be doing any of that. Yeah, no, we're not. I, I don't need them. My husband certainly doesn't need them. And I don't I don't need all of the calories that come with Christmas this year. So it's okay. Yes. But it's just it's so confusing to me to look outside and the sun is shining and the wind is blowing and I swear if I stepped outside it would smell like April, but no, <laughs> it smells like December. I know we the funny thing is is we're going to I think it's going to hit us a little hard when it does show up just because at this point with the weather like it is, I'm, I'm like, okay, bring on spring already. I don't need winter now. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's going to be the shortest winter ever, I think. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. I hope so. my my biggest complaint. I don't mind too much when winter comes a little early. I that doesn't bother me. I'm usually ready to kind of hibernate a little after our fall season is finished. But I hate when winter lasts into April or even May. It's like I'm I'm ready to be done with it by then. Before then. <laughs> Yeah, last spring was like that. It lasted forever. Yeah. And and my husband was itching to get out and get the gardens planted. And he was like, I can't do anything. He said, it's either too cold or too wet. Yes. Yep. He was was very, very irritated with the weather this past spring. (laughs) And and then it stopped raining um, mid-June, end of June. And he had to water every single night for an hour at least. And he was like... I wish that we could pick a side of the fence here. Either it's dry and I get used to doing the things for when it's dry or it's wet and I get used to doing the things for when it's wet. Yeah, this year it actually really uh, severely affected our crop. Um, We had gotten stuff planted and at the beginning of June, and then it didn't rain for three weeks. Mm -hmm. And we had a section that I actually had to completely replant because in I mean, I, I don't know, but it's probably about a two acre spot, an acre and a half at least. I had maybe 12 to 15 plants come up. So I ended up uh, replanting with some 90 day pumpkins and that came in really well because I planted right before we got the rain on the, I think it was like the 23rd or the 26th of June. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, we did get a, cra- a nice crop out of that. But even in the rest of the fields that had come up, we had such poor germination in certain spots. There were areas, a lot of areas that were maybe at 50% germination. So that lack of rain right after planting hurt us pretty bad this year. Yeah, my husband had to plant green beans three times because the first two plantings just did not sprout at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We do a farmer's market thing every summer. Well, not every summer. Last summer was the first summer we've done it. And we he loved it. I I don't do people like I do persons. Persons are fine. One person at a time in a conversation (laughs) is great. Get above that. And I get really, really anxious. And I know it's terrible and I should get over it, but I'm not there yet. So when he decided he wanted to do the farmer's market, I was like, it's your baby. Yeah. Go, you, you be, you people, you be sociable, you sell the things. And 
when he finally showed up with green beans, people wanted more. And he said, I don't have any more. That was it. Sure. Yep. Yep. However, everyone who asked for tomatoes this year got tomatoes because we we sold bushels of tomatoes once they finally started coming in. I I didn't. This is kind of funny. We, we did so much expansion at the farm this year that I did not put a vegetable garden in for us. Uh, typically we do, but I will say it was the right decision for me this year because I did not have to worry about keeping it up. I had nothing to worry about harvesting and getting, you know, tomatoes taken care of and stuff this year. So for us, it was the right decision this year, but I'm looking forward to having my vegetable garden back again next year. Yeah. I mean, I keep, we, I keep talking about this with just about everybody who I talk to on this podcast and there, I'm going to say it again. There is nothing like eating your own homegrown produce. Right. There just isn't. And people, I have had people look at me like I'm crazy and ask me, why is it different than getting a tomato at the store? (laughs) And I mean, there are many, many reasons why. Um, But the closest I've gotten to having a tomato that tastes like our tomatoes that we pick out of the garden in end of July, 1st of August, the closest I've gotten to a grocery store tomato that tastes like that in January is the vine-ripened Bushel Boy um, tomatoes that you can get at any grocery store in Minnesota, I guess. Yeah, yep. And they're still not the same. I mean, they're, they're good but they're not the same. And I don't know if it's pride of ownership or pride of of um, seeing that tomato come in from your garden that, that started from a seed that you put in the ground. I don't know. Maybe you know. Do you know why it's so different? I think it, it has a lot to do with uh, that pride in, in growing it yourself and you know um, how it's been cared for. And then, you know, just it's kind of like when you when you make a meal from scratch too, uh, if you know what the effort was put into it, I don't know. I think it just tastes better. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's, it's very subjective because Lord knows I have made food from scratch and sat down to eat it and it smelled amazing while I was cooking it. And I've sat down to eat it and been like, eh, this is not nearly as good as I thought it was going to be. And there have been times where I've whipped things together, sit down to eat it. And I'm like, wow, this turned out great. So it's very subject- subjective and I'm I'm quite sure it's about perception. I think some of it is perception for sure. And then sometimes I think when we're cooking things, we just, at least for me anyway, I mean, sometimes I'm experimenting and sometimes things don't turn out like you're hoping. So sometimes it's just, um, a, you know, a a trial and error kind of thing to figure it out and get it just the way you like it. And the other thing I've noticed too, like I can make the same basic batch of chili and have it turn out a little different every time. So, you know, sometimes I think it's just the the produce that's going into it. And sometimes I think maybe we just have different taste right at that moment. It tastes a little different to us. Yeah, I made spaghetti sauce like a month and a half ago from tomato sauce that we canned from our San Marzano tomatoes. And we had used this canned tomato sauce a month before that. And the spaghetti sauce turned out great a month before that. And I made this batch and I don't know what happened. It didn't taste like anything. And I thought it was me. And I asked my husband, I was like, does this not taste like like tomatoes and sugar and salt and the stuff I put <laughs> in? He said, it doesn't taste like anything. Oh, said, what did, he said, what did you do? I said, I don't know. I made it the same way I was making it. So we have no idea what happened with that batch. And then I made spaghetti sauce again a month later and it was fine. So I have no idea. I think that, that the universe plays tricks on us sometimes. That's what I think. I think it's a lot, just like what you said with uh, the crap earlier when you said it's a crap shoot and you never know. And there's so much truth. I mean, we've been growing uh, pumpkins now for, what would it be now? We're on 2009 to now, so 15 years, 16 mm-hmm. years, I don't know. Um, and it just, it, I guess that'd be about 14 years. But it, it every year, I think I'm getting the hang of it more. And some years, it's amazing. But every year we always come up with new challenges. There's something new that happens in the crop that we haven't dealt with before. 
and a lot of times it has to do with the weather and you just have to, you know, pivot and adjust and, and go with it and do the best you can. And so as long as, and I've, after talking to a lot of row crop farmers that have been doing this their whole, you know, growing row crops their whole life, they say the same thing. Like, no, you never get to be an expert at this. You can get better. You can, you know, but you will always have challenges that just come out of nowhere and you something you've never dealt with before. So as much as you, you think you've got it down, you never do. The weather and things in nature will just throw you more curves. Yeah, absolutely. So, so we haven't really talked about your, your squashes. We've been chatting about other things because that's what happens when I talk to people who <laughs> like to talk. Um, you had your squashes cross-pollinate. So you have, you have like crazy looking squashes or pumpkins or gourds or whatever. So we buy all of our seed new every year. Um, that's how we ensure that we're getting true to um, uh, fruits that are true to their variety. Um, but being we grow crops here every year, we get volunteers that will come up in the fields. And if they're in one of our rows, we let them go. And that to us is kind of the fun thing because, yes, those varieties, cross-pollination doesn't happen in one season. It'll happen between two plants during one season and then the seeds from their fruit the next year will produce the, the funky things. So um, by buying seeds from companies that are making sure their stuff is not cross-pollinated, we get true to form varieties when we grow them. But like I said, the ones that come up, uh, they're volunteers from the last year because there's a seed in the ground that comes up in the row and we get to let it just be there and do its thing. We get a lot of fun, different crosses um, from those. And, and people love those. When we have something that's a little funky to sell at the farm, those just usually fly right off the shelves. Yeah. And they're probably not going to eat them. They're probably going to use them as decoration. That's what exactly. I would do. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. We had, we had a butternut squash that looked exactly like a pumpkin but it was the color of butternut squash. And when we cut it open, it smelled like butternut squash and we ate it just like butternut squash, but it looked like it looked exactly like a pumpkin, but it was butternut squash colored. And it was so funny because my husband brought it in from the garden and I was like, um, where'd that come from? <laughs> yep. <laughs> he said the, the pumpkin patch. And I was like, that's not a pumpkin. He's like, no. So yeah. And we've also had, um, zucchini that was half green and half yellow squash colored from the two kinds we grow and i yep. assume that was a volunteer as well probably but, but yeah it's really funny when when nature steps in and says huh i'm gonna i'm gonna trick these people she really does a good job <laughs> and you know that's how the new varieties are actually uh how we get new varieties is we get some fun things out of cross pollination. And then you still, unless that variety has been isolated and you know, you didn't get cross pollination on it. Um, it, it can still be the next season. You'll get funky things. We've actually saved some of our seeds from some of our cross pollinated things that produce some very unique things. And then we will replant those seeds to try to get it again. And usually we'll get maybe, uh, 25% of it comes back to that true, like the, what we're actually looking for, the fun cross we found. But a lot of times the, the rest of them will revert back to kind of what maybe was their original, uh, cross pollinator, um, parent. Otherwise, sometimes you'll still get something even funkier because it cross pollinated during that season. Cause we have open fields here. So everything has the opportunity to be cross pollinated in our fields. Yeah, and genetic throwbacks happen all the time. Our yes. our dog is supposed to be a mini Australian Shepherd. And we're starting to think that she's actually a a small standard Australian Shepherd because she's she's bigger than than we thought she would be. Yeah. And we know her parents and her we joke that she looks like her mama but she built like her daddy cuz uh, <laughs> her her daddy was was pretty thick through his rib cage so he looked much bigger than he was and she is supposed to be like 25 pounds and maybe just below knee height on me and I'm five foot nine and she's right at my knee and she weighs anywhere from 35 to 38 pounds on a given day right and so so we were very confused when we got her she was five pounds <laughs> a day short of eight weeks and five pounds and her mom tops out at like 24, 25 pounds. So 
So genetic throwbacks happen all the time. Yes, I see it in my garden a lot too. A lot of the new varieties, um, uh, one of them is uh, Gallardia. And I, I grow a lot of just the original red and yellow variety in my garden, but they have um, some other ones like uh, Peach Mesa, I think is the name of the one. It's kind of a yellowy with a peachy color in it. And at this point, I have just gotten rid of all, well, I didn't even have to get rid of it, just all reverted back to the original, um, the red and yellow variety. So over time, I've found that a lot of the new varieties do exactly that. Uh, it's fun if they don't, but it's frustrating when they do because I planted those in a spot where I wanted that color. I did not want the red and yellow. So now I'm actually having to rethink what's going to go in there because I'm probably going to end up taking those out now. Yeah, and it's a never-ending struggle. You may you may plant what you want and then discover that you like something else. Who knows? Yeah, that happens all the time too. That's my my personal taste. You know how they keep changing, or you see something fun and different, you want to try. You have to find a place for it. Yeah, we bought uh, yellow peonies two years ago, and one bloomed this summer, and it was really pretty. But the rest of my peonies are white and pink and burgundy, and it just looked wrong in all of that. And I thought, huh, we're going to have to move those. And when we move those, we move the yellow ones, it's going to take another three years before they bloom again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So maybe I'll just leave them and be like, that's just the aberration to the color palette. It's fine. Um, So before you guys started Autumn Acres Farm, were you... Did you know about growing things and all that? Or was this a a learn on the go kind of thing? Well, there's always the learn on the go kind of thing. But um, I had actually started growing flowers and stuff when I was 17. I, 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 from the very start, when I bought my first ones, I was kind of hooked. So I've been gardening for 30 years. Um, And when we moved here, um, or before we moved here, we had a home in Wasika and we had a a really nice sized lot. Um, and we had actually had a, bought an older home. It was at the time, it was like 120 years old and we completely redid it. And it was just beautiful. And the yard had also been completely overgrown when we bought it. And by the time we left it, it was gorgeous. Um, so, and that was all of our landscaping that we had done and added. So gardening and growing things has, is not new to me at all. Um, but doing it on the scale we do it now. And, you know, uh, the only pumpkins we had grown before we moved were the ones that came up in the compost pile for us, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was definitely, you know, definitely learning curves, but gardening itself is, is something that is, I, it's probably my passion. It is the number one thing I've been doing the longest. And if, if I'm being honest, it's probably one of the things I'm best at in life. Well, you should be doing that then for <laughs> yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, speaking of compost piles, we have, we have three, we have three big compost piles and my husband keeps throwing things in the compost piles that have seeds. And I, he says that the heat from the compost process will, will kill the seeds, but we still get volunteers every year when he uses that compost in the garden. Yeah. So, so is the heat from the compost process actually supposed to render the the seeds not growable or um, is he is he right supposed to in theory he's 100% right but we actually we we never use our compost on anything we just have a big pile we keep adding to and then I mean at some point we might have to move it but we don't turn ours to have a really good working compost system that heats up the way it's supposed to to decompose, to get the right microbes and the heat to kill things. You have to turn it regularly. There's actually, I I guess I've looked into some of it, but we just, we don't take the time to do it. So it's not something I know all the details on, but when you look it up, it'll tell you exactly like how often you need to be turning it. And then you're supposed to have, I think like three different piles, like to turn it into. So when it gets to a certain stage, you kind of put that in a separate um, one that's at stage two, if you will. Mm -hmm. And then again, at stage three and, um, and then at that point, then it's supposed to be ready for the fields or gardens. Um, so yeah, it is a process. It's just throwing all of our stuff. Cause that's what we do too. throwing it in a pile. 
it doesn't actually, we're not composting it the way we should be to get rid of the seeds, to kill them so that they're not active. Um, I know that one time we brought in, um, it would have been horse manure and it was partially composted, but that was the last time we ever did that because the amount of weeds we had immediately from it was insane. And we decided that just was not worth uh, pumpkin growing pumpkins is, is very difficult to keep the weeds down anyway there. We don't have sprays that we can use like, you know, row crop farmers and stuff. Um, and so it's a lot of manual labor. And, and honestly, my fields don't stay clean. My back fields are not clean. We keep the front pick your own area very clean. We do it all by hand to keep that nice for our guests. Um, but our backfields at a certain point in the season, we just have to let them go. Um, but I guess having said that, we don't bring in any kind of manure or compost and stuff anymore uh, because of that reason. Okay, which leads me to another question, because thank you for prompting another question. Um, <laughs> so when it gets toward the end of the season and you guys have lots of, of squash and pumpkins and and fall produce what do you do with it because if it's if it's after if it's after halloween and it's moving toward thanksgiving what do you do with what's left um so we haven't had i'll be honest with you for quite a few years we didn't have to deal with it much at all because we were selling out we've grown we've finally grown to a size now where we are growing enough produce where we don't sell out. So that's a, that's a good thing for us to not be selling out. Uh, that means we're not losing sales and leaving sales on the table. Um, but what we, what we do around here is we have um, some local farmers, uh, some Latimark farmers per se. They're, they're usually people who just maybe raise a few hogs or cattle, like on small scales, and they will come and, um, pick up a lot of the extras for us, whatever they want. They're allowed to come and get it basically until the time when we are doing field work. Because um, when we started offering this to um, people and then we would be waiting for them to come and get them. And we're like, we cannot wait to do field cleanup. It takes us so long. Uh, we have small equipment and I know it's only to a lot of people, <laughs> 13 to 20 acres doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a lot when you have small equipment and we don't have the kind of equipment you see in the fields where there's corn and soybeans, you know, and um, plus we both work other jobs and it's cold and we don't have cabs. Uh, like one of our tractors that is used for most of the field cleanup does not have a cab. So we're out there in the cold um, doing field cleanup. So basically how we do it is we talk with those people. Um, we let them know when it's available and they basically get a time window when they can come over and anything that's left in the fields at that time, which by that time, a lot of it is not good quality. I mean, cause we have picked out everything that's good quality usually. So what's left in the fields usually isn't very good. Um, and we will chop our fields and then they get worked as well. Um, if there's stuff that we have up front that we've already picked, harvested, washed and all that that's left, um, we do a lot of giveaway to, well, I shouldn't say a lot. We, we do it with our church and our schools, our local communities here. Um, if there's stuff that they can use, they can come and take it. And um, I do not do deliveries because again, we do, do not have that kind of time. I cannot take the time to deliver things to people, but if they have time to come out and get them, they can come and use some of the produce that's left. And this year our church was decorated just beautifully because we had a lot of stuff left and cleaned and we're like, Hey, you can come, you know, use this. And it was, it was beautiful. Um, so we do some of that stuff and then the rest of it will get thrown in a pile and composted. <laughs> okay. I was just curious because like 10, at least 10 years ago now, one of our, our local orchard guys also grows squashes and sells them. And we had bought a bunch of squash from him starting in September, I think it was. And as it got closer to him closing up for the season, I said, what are you going to do with all these squash? Because he still had a lot. And he said, oh, I know a couple of farmers. They'll come and take some. And... I said, for their, their critters? And he said, yeah. And I said, before you, you do that, I said, we live in a neighborhood where people cook. I said, could we maybe take some of them for our neighbors? And he got the biggest smile on his face. And he was like, I would rather have people eat it than the critters. Yeah. So yep. we, took, we took a trailer and filled it with Hubbard's and 
butternuts and acorns and buttercup squash and pumpkin and drove it home and parked it in front of the house where we used to live. And two of my neighbors knew we were going to be doing this. And so they came out and they were like, what can I take? And I said, take what you want. And they did. And then as they were taking stuff, a couple of other neighbors came out and they were like, where'd you get all the squash? And I said, from a a benefactor. (laughs) And they're like, can we just take some? And I was like, yes, take all you want. And everyone roasted whatever they took and froze it for the winter. And it was just, it was so great because it was just going to go feed pigs and cows and that's fine. Yep. But thing, I was just going to say, usually we don't have a lot of squash left at the end of the season. That's something that we typically run out of before we're even closed. But this year was different. Um, we did have a lot of squash and we, you know, I said we don't deliver things that mm-hmm. I should take that back because we did actually deliver two loads down to the local food shelves. So we, we did do that because we had so much squash left this year. Yeah. And it's, it's so great because I don't know what you know about food shelves, but a lot of food shelves don't have fresh produce very right. often. Right. And we were lucky because when we needed help, the food shelf that we used had eggs and they had milk and they had produce that was from the farm whenever they could get it in in the summer. And so our our kids got to have fresh produce. They got to have farm eggs. They got to have milk whenever they wanted milk because they would hand us two gallons a week. That's a lot of milk. And so when we started growing things and we were in a better position, we donated to the food shelf too. And this year we donated, oh, I don't even know, hundreds of pounds of tomatoes. Yep. Yeah, I don't know how much we donated either, but it was a lot this year. I guess this is the first year we've ever had uh, such a surplus of squash. So this was the first really opportunity we've had to do that. But yeah, we did. People who keep track of that, see, we don't weigh our stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. So I have no idea. I just know it was probably probably 30 crates worth at least of stuff. So Mm -hmm. we we donated cucumbers too this year because our cucumbers went crazy. And... uh, the the president of the food shelf actually was part of our CSA last year. And so we called him and we're like, we have too many cucumbers. You need any for the food shelf? And he said, yes, I do. And he came and got them. And the thing about cucumbers is they don't last. Right. The only, the only way to preserve them is to make relish or pickles. And that's it. So when it's cucumber season, it's cucumber season. And when it's not, it's not. Right. So people were very happy to get cucumbers and tomatoes, and I think we donated eggs, too. I think. I can't remember. I think, you know, that makes me remember, you know, and you were talking about why some things taste so good when they come from your own garden and everything. I think that's part of the reason, because when you grow your own stuff, you have to eat things in season. It's not like when you can go to the grocery store all year long and buy whatever you want, even though it's not in season here. Um for me, I, I think that's part of like the natural cycle of nature and life that I love is, and that doesn't mean I never buy those things in the winter at the grocery store. I do. But um, I, I just think the seasons of like, this is when something's in season. And right now, like even sweet corn, you know, when that comes in, it tastes so good. It's so fresh. And you know, you only have that for that small period of time. And I think it's the same with like the cucumbers and the tomatoes to me too. Um, it's just that freshness of when that's first coming out, it's in season, you've been waiting for it or looking forward to it for months, you know, I think sometimes that's part of the reason it tastes so good, because it's like, we're looking forward to it. And we know it's only fresh and in season for that short period of time. Yes, like asparagus. I hated asparagus as a kid. I, oh my God, I couldn't even stand the smell of it cooking, steaming. (laughs) And then I had it fresh from the garden and I love it. And as you know, asparagus is only in season for about three weeks. Right. Yes. (laughs) And you can get asparagus at Sam's Club in January Yeah, and and it's okay but it's never going to taste like a piece you broke off out in the garden and ate right then and there. Exactly. Yep. 
and we have an asparagus patch finally and this year third spring we finally got to have a batch of asparagus from our garden I was beside myself. I, I steamed it. I drenched it in butter like it was lobster, salted it, peppered it, <laughs> ate it. And oh, I was just like, okay, next year, doing it again. Yes. Yeah. And it's so, that, and that's the other thing too, that the time from that harvest to your table is nothing versus mm-hmm. when you go to a store, you know that it's a few days out. It's it's not, uh, okay, even if it's coming from Oatana's greenhouse, you're, you're guessing it's probably still at least a day or two after they harvested it to when you, when you're consuming it. And that is the thing when you come and you get that fresh out of that garden uh, and that asparagus is so tender when you have just harvested it fresh and you get, you get to harvest it when it's small, you know, at the store, you're getting whatever size they've decided you're getting. Um, And a lot of times the ends are quite woody, you know, but when you're harvesting it out of your garden, you get that first pick when it's super tender and the shoots are so small. It's perfect. Mm -hmm. We used to have to go pick fresh asparagus when we would hike in the spring because we couldn't find it anywhere else. Yes. Yes. A a lot of road ditches and stuff. (laughs) It was actually by a little pond up in Jordan and I just happened to notice it when we were hiking one day and I was like, is that asparagus? And my husband was like, I think so. He's, he's not a veggie eater. He loves gardening, but he hates vegetables. That used, so, to, be, that used to be me. Yeah. So he was like, I don't know, pick a piece off and try it. And I was like, what if I die? And he's like, you die. And I was like, uh-huh. <laughs> so snapped a piece off, bit it. And I was like, oh, it's asparagus. And it was only a little tiny patch. And Asparagus is not actually a wild-growing thing. Apparently, birds will take the seeds out of gardens and deposit them in the woods, and then sure. you have asparagus in the woods. Yep. So, so I call it wild asparagus, but it's really not. It's just asparagus. Um, I was going to mention, too. So <laughs> when I was young, my, my parents garden. That's We didn't have a lot of flowers. They were both working full-time, and uh, but we always had a vegetable garden, and part of our job as kids was to go out there and weed it and everything, you know, and I never like, I, and see growing up, I, even like in school, I can remember like corn was the one vegetable I really, I did like, okay. But the canned corn even, oh, it's terrible. I hate, I still say I hate canned vegetables. Mm -hmm. And so I never liked canned peas, never liked canned beans. I still don't. But what happened is mom would send me to the garden to pick. And I would eat the beans right out of the garden. I would eat the peas right out of the garden. So she's like, I you always came back with hardly any in your bucket, but I never cared because it's the only time you ever ate vegetables. So, and I'm kind of that way still. I do not like <laughs> much for canned vegetables, but I freeze a lot of them and freezing or steaming and, you know, that kind of thing. Then, I, then I enjoy them because they don't lose all their flavor. They don't turn to mush. They don't change completely. They're still, you know, pretty true to what they are when they're fresh. Yeah. My mom used to take us strawberry picking and us being me, my younger sister, and my younger brother. And the uh, strawberry company, I don't know, business, they, they would say the kids can eat all they want while they're picking. <laughs> and we would come out of there, our hands would be red, our faces would be red, and we'd have maybe half of a, a little toy bucket of strawberries. And in the meantime, my mom had picked flats of strawberries. So, yep. so we got fed for the day. She got to have strawberries for strawberry jam and jelly and stuff. But I think that if you're, if you're that kind of business and you know, kids are going to be picking, you might as well accept there's going to be some loss, yeah. but it means the parents will come back every year. Yeah. Yeah. So that leads me to one more question, and then we should probably wrap this up because I usually try to keep it to 30 minutes, and we're almost 49 minutes. Oh, wow. Um, when families come to get squashes and pumpkins from you in the fall, the little kids, like under five years old, when they see the squashes and pumpkins and, and they're told they can pick out one do they just light up and, and do the happy dance or are they just like, I don't even know what a pumpkin is? You know, it depends. Um, some kids have had already had experiences. And I find that sometimes that means they're kind of immune to the 
aha moment, you know, because they've already done it before. Yeah. But the funny thing is, is that some of the kids that have already done it before, they're even more excited because they know what they're coming for and what they're doing. And they can't wait. I mean, like I said, it's, it's a return visit, but they're so excited. So it just depends. Most kids, yes, they're super excited to come and get their pumpkins. And um, I have found that it has a lot to do with the parents. If the parents are really excited to get pumpkins, the kids tend to pick up on that and they're excited. If we've got parents who are coming um, maybe just mainly to play and they don't care so much about pumpkins, usually the kids don't care so much about the pumpkins. Um, Or maybe they just don't get as excited. Like sometimes you'll see a, a wife who is loves all the different varieties and she's having a hard time picking. And then you got dad who's like, okay, can we be done? You know, it just depends. Uh, everybody's a little different, but typically most of them that are coming to a farm like ours, uh, especially if they're repeats, you know, they've come before, they know exactly what we have to offer. And they, most of them are very excited to be here. And how do you feel when you see that? Because you're the one who made that possible. Honestly, it's the the best thing in the world. It's, it is the primary reason I still do what we do because when you do this long enough, I'm telling you, there it is. A lot of people think having a pumpkin farm would be the most fun job in the world, and I am not going to complain about it because there are parts about it that I absolutely love. But when you do it long enough, you realize how much work it is, and it's a lot of physical labor. And you know, we're getting older, and we have less help from our kids, and it's a lot of work. The number one reason I do what I do is because of the people who appreciate it. Uh, And it's not just the kids. Sometimes it's the kids and the way their faces light up, but sometimes and oftentimes it's the parents. Last year, we had so many people just say to us, or I shouldn't say last year, this season, (laughs) I'm thinking of our last season, but yeah, it's this year. Um, We had so many people that on their way out, they're like, this is just amazing. And we love everything you've done. We did a lot of changes this year and they would compliment us on it and how they are so excited to see us grow and appreciate all the hard work we put in. When they are realizing how much work it takes and they're appreciating that, that that means so much because it is a lot of hard work. Yeah. Um, my husband had sort of the same experience at the, the, the farmer's market this year at the end of the season. He said the last weekend he was there. He had people come up who had been buying stuff all summer and they didn't necessarily buy anything. They just wanted to come and make sure they said hi and thank you and tell him what a great job he'd done. Yeah. Yep. And I just, I laughed and he said, why are you laughing? And I said, I think that is amazing that they took the time to express their appreciation. And he said, what's the giggling? And I said, you would have done it anyway. You can't help yourself because he loves it. He loves to garden. He loves getting out there and doing all the things that you do to get plants to grow. Right. Yep. And he said, well, it doesn't take away from them appreciating it. And I said, no, it does not. I said, I just think it's funny that even without the the applause and the accolades and the thank yous, you would still be doing it because you cannot help yourself. And then he laughed and he said, okay, now I get it. Yeah. So and yeah, but I think is the same for me is much as like I said, it's hard work, but it's a big reason we do it is, is because they enjoy it. The difference for me would be that if, if I wasn't getting some kind of, um, you know, that fulfillment from it, from, from their appreciation, I could just do my own gardens and be happy with that in the sense that I can still garden on my own and do those things. So when you're doing it like on such a big scale and even for your husband to, he's obviously growing so much more than he needs for himself. Mm-hmm. So to get that appreciation from the people that you're servicing, it, it just means the world. That's what keeps you doing it on the big scale. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like this particular year, 2023, people, people have been very, very careful with their money. Yes. And- we appreciated the fact they were willing to spend their money on the thing that we did. Absolutely. 100%. And we clearly did not mark things up the way that, oh, other, other, um, what's the word I want? Not factory 
not factory farms, but uh, commercial. Yeah, commercial, commercial farms did, and we sold our tomatoes at a buck a pound, maybe. And you couldn't get tomatoes like that at the store for a right. dollar a pound. And I mentioned to my husband that he could probably mark them up a titch because it did cost us more money to grow them this year. Exactly. Yep. And he said, I really don't want to. He said, because people are really tight on their finances this year because of the crazy inflation. He said, I would rather just sell them good food. And I said, you, you can do that. This is your baby. You sell it how you want to do it. Yes. That's a different thing for us as business owners. Um, I, we've, (laughs) for a lot of years, we've taken the approach that, you know, I, I guess to be very honest with you, it's kind of like we were just everything. And we're still at that point, everything we make, we just keep reinvesting into the farm to make the experience better. And yeah. we're getting to the point after all these years, like we have to actually start making money on this. We have to treat it as a business. So our our views have shifted a little. But when you're in a time of huge inflation and recession, it's still you. It's very hard to make something profitable. <laughs> so that's been a struggle for us. Uh, it's how do we and I, that's how do we keep doing this? without just volunteering our time and our resources to make this go. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, if we hadn't been in a decent position to be able to keep the prices the same, we would have upped our prices, Yeah, but, but we weren't at a point where we had to. And I know that trying to feed our chickens and feed our dog and feed our cats and feed our kid that still lives with us has been harder this year. Uh And if it's been harder for us, Lord knows it's been harder for everybody else. Yes, exactly. I, I don't, I don't know anybody who's not noticing it. It, It's pretty significant across the board, I think. Yeah. Our, our dog who is our fifth child, she's our baby. Um, She has these, smart bones that she gets to eat while we're having dinner and it keeps her from begging while we're cooking dinner or eating dinner. And they used to be like four ninety nine or five ninety nine a bag for six of them. They are now fourteen dollars for six of them. Oh my goodness. I was like, hmm, dog, you may not be getting these much longer because that's yeah. a lot of money. And so I actually have been watching for them when they're on sale and she will continue to have them until we can't justify it anymore. Yeah. But but I'm like a year ago, we were spending maybe six bucks a bag. So a dollar a bone for this dog. And now we're looking at over $2 a piece. Right. Yeah. That's like me going to Caribou and buying a mocha every day. In, in the way I look at the money, I'm not going to go exactly. to Caribou and, and get a mocha every day. I'm going to make coffee at home because it's way less expensive. 100%. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's hard. And hopefully yesterday we were saying that the inflation rate has, has become stagnant. They said it on the news, whether it's true or not. I, yes. I heard it. So hopefully things are going to level back out. But uh in the meantime, hope, hope for that. That my biggest concern about next year, as we go forward, is um, a lot of the consumer debt that's been taken on this mm-hmm. last year and a half to two years, and people have not stopped. A lot of people have not stopped their spending ways, and I fear that that consumer debt's going to catch up to us as a society, and that we're going to feel the hit of that this next year. Oh, I I figure we probably will, and we were feeling it the inflation part this spring because we only had like three people sign up for our CSA. Oh yes. I bet that makes sense. Yeah. And uh, I expect we're probably not going to be offering the CSA next year because I don't think people are going to be able to do the initial outlay for it. Right. Yeah. Yep. So it'll be farmer's market and we'll do what we can to help. Do, do what you can each week then instead of, you know, you know, it's a whole different style of running your business, but having done the CSA farm for a couple of years and also, you know, I'm a visitor of farmers markets. We don't go to them, but obviously we have our own, you know, 
sales market, basically mm-hmm. on our own farm in the fall too. Um, they're very different ways of of selling your product, but there are pros and cons to both. Um, so I actually, I know some people who've gone more away from the CSA um, to doing more farmers markets because they have found it to be easier and more profitable for them. So hopefully that works out for you guys too, that it becomes something that is, ends up being a good thing for you if you have to make that switch. Well, trying to do both this summer was really difficult because my husband was going out in the dark to pick for the CSA members. I would believe that. Yes. Because he had to get everything ready and then load up for the farmer's market. Right. And I think that's part of the reason he's considering not doing the CSA this coming season. Yeah. And if people weren't willing to shell out $500 in March for the summer, this spring, they're probably not going to be willing to do it next year either. Yeah. Yeah. But it's fine. We we will do what we can with what we have where we are because that's what we do. Right. So anyway, Cheryl, I really appreciate your time. This was fantastic. And uh, I will let you know when it's up. And thank you again because I know you're busy. All right. Well, thank you so much for including me, Mary. Yeah. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.